eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. podcast hell yeah brother overload brother beats by at smoke m2d6 welcome to another episode of the seattle overload podcast i'm joined by griffin and ty and we're going to have a special in the lull of the off season data or as you guys would say data episode <laughs> i, I say data Sometimes I say, I, data, say data. Right? I, I like I like the long A. Honestly, I feel like it would have been like you that would have said data and then we yeah. would have said data. Mm. You well, yeah. as they say, you say potato, I say potato. No, we say potato too. What? No. Anyway. Right. Anyway, this too many vowels. So uh like Z. You, you guys are That's clearly doing, You guys are clearly doing absolutely fine. Yeah, we we're, we're we're great. We're vibing. The vibes are great. The vibes are immaculate. Yeah. And how are you, Maddie? Well, you know, struggling in the Seahawks off season. No news. Sort of having to rewind the Sound of the Seahawks episode two on the official Seahawks YouTube channel. You know, mm. four hundred times. Play it back in zero point two five speed. Pause it uh, and hope that the blurry wall behind uh, the the main shot somehow becomes visible and um, reveals all of the VMAX deepest and darkest secrets. But other than that, yeah, no, absolutely fine. So the next episode is definitely going to be offense-based, right, and Waldron-based? Well, I'm wondering if they're going to keep that on a, um, like, download because they don't want to expose the quarterback competition. Uh, but you But then they did... Oh, they can like, frame it like it's anyone's game, especially because training camp ha hasn't actually started yet. Well, and they did end episode two with a shot of Tyler Lockett 
So like, they are hinting towards mm. the offense. Oh, but right. I wouldn't be shocked if they exclude the quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get some Shane Waldron action, though. See what he emphasizes and what he doesn't emphasize. Bit of a Dickerson. Right. Yeah. Right. Some uh, nice run blocking terms, talking tracks and and Waldron saying about, um, you know, I wonder if he coaches in the way he does press conferences where he, he says so, so much and yet so, so little. Absolutely nothing. Do, do you feel like the NFL could see these videos and then next year they're like, okay, you're doing hard knocks? I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is their way of giving fans what they want but being mm-hmm. able to control it because I don't think Pete wants a third party anywhere near. I wondered if this was actually the franchise preparing for hard knocks next year. And they've been told oh, like, maybe. it's quite likely. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not sure exactly how the eligibility works off the top of my head, but I'm pretty certain they're in line like next, next year. If they don't make I, the playoffs. Maybe. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the, them doing this though was, trying to rope fans in after trading away Russell Wilson because they're worried. I agree. That was quite significant. And they have also been advertising their training camp tickets quite a bit. Usually that sells out immediately. Friends, uh, sorry, not friends, spies, who I send the VMAC to take pictures of certain things. Um, They've been able to get tickets very easily and there's still tickets available, I think, for a lot of the training camp days. So... They clearly yeah. are struggling to get fans invested in this team full of superstars like Jamal and DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Michael Dixon, mm. Jason Myers, Tyler Ott, Travis Homer. Right. Mm-hmm. All the Nick best Ballard. players. Mm-hmm. So, football data. This episode, we're going to highlight five, maybe six of our favorite metrics around the Seahawks from the 2021 season. But also extrapolate that to how you know that uh, may look in 2022. You know how that impacts the future of this football team. Right. And first up, quarterback wins. Quarterback wins and uh, a valid metric. Yeah. So the one that I chose was um, EPA per play. Seattle's defensive EPA per pass allowed to wide receivers and tight ends since week six. And the reason why I am highlighting that, um, why I'm choosing week six to be this line of demarcation um, is because, well, that's when they changed things on defense. That was kind of when they... um, that was when they they started to shift toward more uh, too high, as the saying goes, and playing really aggressive zone, having really aggressive zone ma- matching principles within their too high stuff. They had done some too high stuff uh, before uh, week six, but there wasn't as much. They weren't putting as much on the overhangs like Jordan Brooks and Ugo Amadi when they were in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's well, kind of when they your point as well, yeah. Griff. That's when they changed, like from a schematic perspective. But also personnel-wise, something I, I was reminded of recently, you know, the, the cornerback situation, they kind of had, that was not ideal, and they had to sort of figure that out, and it sort of started right. coming yeah, it's, together. Then. Yeah, it's it's cornerback-driven as well, that's 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 for sure. Um, and Maddie, you can expand on that. But, so without much further ado, that stat 
was um, again EPA per pass allowed to non-running backs, right? Wide receivers and, and tight ends combined. They were hold seven. on, hold on, Griff, Griff, real yeah. quick, Maddie. Can we see that huge bottle again? That is a massive, absurdly massive water bottle. Uh, well, no free ads actually. Oh. Um, Ripped well, it, off the label. Rip off the label. We want the bottle. Very important to um to stay <laughs> It doesn't even fit in the whole frame. Is that what is that? Sixty four ounces. One point five liters. Wow. Jeez. I said do you do liters? Uh, we actually you do not. What's interesting is we actually do do liters, but we do like nothing else in the metric system. For whatever reason, though, we do use liters. Mm. Yeah, you can buy like liters of soda bottles at the store. Talking of metrics. Okay, so they were seventh <laughs> in. No, sorry. That was an important segue. Seventh in EPA per pass, wide receivers and tight ends. In effect, they were a good pass defense um, downfield. Um, and it's important to highlight uh, because, well, it, it frames it frames their strengths and weaknesses as, as a defense because um and this will kind of lead into the next stat. i don't want to give it away yet though but when you're a defense everyone has mixed feelings about what the defense was last year but when you're not when you're not letting offenses get vertical on you and you're just simply not giving up many completions um or even attempts even downfield it's hard to score a lot of points uh, it's hard for an offense to score a lot of points so they can't put the ball downfield. Um, and let's remember, they were 10th in, de- in defensive points per drive last year. That's for the whole season. They were tied for 10th in the regular season. So, yeah, they had some pretty fatal flaws. But when we're talking about how far this defense needs to come, mm. we still have to lay it, all, lay it all out on the table and actually digest what they actually are before we talk about what they need to improve. Um defensive efficiency wise yeah they their total like dvoa and epa per play total for all situations was not great it was like 20 something um but the first thing you're trying to prevent are points and they actually did okay there and they were one of the better defenses um in defending wide receivers and tight ends and another way of looking at it is like passes that traveled 10 yards downfield or greater um they were also like i think fifth in epa per per pass using that metric um and further they were the they gave up the fifth least explosives total no matter where the ball was thrown just explosive passes uh they gave up the fifth fewest last time i checked i believe that might be wrong but it was around there and then they were also since week six the single most least targeted defense in the intermediate from yards 10 to 20 or 10 to 19. Uh, and that's by total dropbacks. So um, that just meant, I mean, if you're not targeting in the, over the middle or, or past 10 yards, you know, below 20 in that intermediate section, things aren't open because any offense would rather throw there than hit the running back or hit the check down or have to hit something more shallow than that. Now, obviously, they were if they were seventh in that metric that I initially listed, and they were tenth overall in points, and they were even they were like twenty second or something in total EPA per play. That obviously means that on passes to running backs and or passes below ten yards, they were doing horrifically. 
and indeed they were. Um, and we've talked at nauseum on this podcast reasons why for that. Well, um, we can we can also but, transition to a different metric for that as well. Well, but. we can. So I guess I'll do two in a row because it makes sense. Um, the next metric I was going to highlight was their um, for the whole season on passes to on passes of air yards less than five, which that's an attempt to kind of um, combine screens and checkdowns and and things of that nature, swing passes. They were 29th for the whole season, which is horrific. So obviously, and, and the success rate was like 56%, which is like ludicrously high. Um, and that was also worse than the league. So they're just like giving up all these first downs on the, on those passes. And yeah, when you're playing too high, that means, and even if you're playing cover two, you have five underneath defenders. But if you're assigning your corners to play kind of an aggressive carry on a fade ball, because if you think about it, cover two, you want top-down coverage on a fade ball. And if you're wanting them to carry that route, in essence, you kind of sometimes only have three defenders or two defenders to one side if you're checking it down. And that's just bad spacing to be able to defend um, that running back or that tight end or that receiver on, on those checkdowns. They were – so, yeah, they were 29th in the league. But – oh, wait, I, I uh, forgot what I was saying. I just cut myself off. <laughs> um but when you don't have a pass rush and your interior defensive underneath interior is being ran off by the routes and pass rush is just giving the quarterback all that time, by the time they actually hit the hit the running back, there's more space between that running back and, and those defenders. So mm-hmm. and it's essentially we on observe it and statistically, it appears to be a pass rush issue. Um, but that's kind of a theory. But we can go even further with this because when you – when you uh, identify when Carlos Dunlap finally started to come alive last season, which is around week 13, week 14, mm-hmm. the final five games of the season, when the four man rush improves that same figure to uh, that same defensive figure on um, attempts under five yards, they jump from 29th up to 15th in the league. So simply Carlos Dunlap and Daryl Taylor playing at their best that we saw last year, cut that problem in half basically. So we can assume that with Uchenna and Wosu coming in, hopefully the addition of Boya Mafe, Shelby Harris, which is huge, Quentin Jefferson, who's a decent interior pass rusher. Um, hopefully we see that principle continue to improve so that they can pl- continue to play their base stuff as much as necessary, but be able to defend all th- uh, three levels of the field. So that's going to be one of the main things to look for next year. Can the back seven maintain their play in defending downfield? If you think about it, it's, they did that without a pass rush too. That they were those they got those figures against receivers, tight ends, targets down ten yards down the field and or greater, without a pass rush. Um, adding a pass rush theoretically that those numbers could improve even more, but also, um, can that improve the the yak problems at the first level, um, so they can get off the field? Yeah. Uh, the main the main caveat there is obviously the exit of DJ Reed and the corner situation having potential, but being a question mark still so it's enough for me well and to the point of pass rush you know espn had seattle's pass rush win rate which you know not the not a perfect metric but they had that at 39 percent, which only placed uh 20th best in the league that that's basically using player tracking data from uh nfl next gen stats to see how often a pass rush is able to beat his block within 2.5 seconds so they weren't getting um, 
quick pressure, basically. They they weren't getting quick pressure, so people were having to cover for longer without um, sort of busting the pocket up um, m- most of the time. Um, but I think also the stuff Griffin spoke about, um, along with the tape, which we've seen as well, is, you know, it's just evidence that, you know, that they, 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 they weren't rushing the pass very well. And then I think there's kind of a, a theory that they're playing kind of soft defense. You know, they they weren't covering guys tightly and hence why they, they got checked down. It wasn't really that the case, you know. Yeah, they were having to get deeper in their drops because of the fact that they weren't able to rush the passer as well. But, you know, really they were playing match-up zone coverage. Um, they were matching routes tightly down the field. The issue was they couldn't remove the check down. Now, or the screen. But well, also to yeah. your to your point, you know, you mentioned your metric about wide receivers and tight ends and how running backs carve them up. One thing I would say is part of it was a lack of pass rush, but part of it also is that in the coverages that they're running, the running back is in a clear one-on-one, often on the backside of, of the coverage with a linebacker in a, in a t- in a situation where the offense comes up with the right concept, the running back is out leveraging uh, that guy. And we saw a great example of that versus the New Orleans Saints where Alvin Kamara went off in the first half um, right. against Jordan Brooks and then uh, e- even more uh, chiefly against um, Ryan Neal in, in dime, uh, beating one-on-ones. And Seattle just in the second half with different coverage. So if that happens, then, you know, that won't have helped the EPA be played. But if that happens, Seattle can adjust. But overall, I think your point about the pass rush it is is really the uh, the issue there, and it's very encouraging how you know their EPA per play um, per pass, sorry, versus the wide receivers and tight ends is so good. But it's not just a pass rush thing; it is also the the coverages they're running. Um, they're not they're not soft, but they they do leave a mismatch, which only a few teams can can attack. Because how many running backs are better than a you know, better than a Jordan Brooks, better than maybe a Jamal Adams, um, you know, even Ryan Neal, you, you fancy against most running backs in the league. Like Alvin Kamara right. is, really is one of a kind. I'm not sure if you think about the NFC West, like how many running backs are a passing game mismatch. And, 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 and like, yeah, because check down, it's also screens. But if you think about the design of what screens are doing, when you talked about like aggressive match zone, a lot of screens work because they're trying to run the coverage off. They're yeah. trying to get you as far away as a running back as possible. Mm-hmm. Make you think it's some nasty, like, you know, play action concept. You got to roll over, find the vertical releases. Yeah. Right. And so get the linebackers as far away as possible from that running back. Then by the time you hit the running back, it's one guy in a one-on-one with three, 300 pound offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. And that ball is just going to go for, you know, 10 plus yards every time in those contexts. Um, we did see them improve a lot versus screens against the Cardinals. But again, that kind of goes back to they had pass rush that game. When you when you have a a, a formidable four man rush, um, the the running back, I mean, you can influence the protection, is what I'm saying, so that the defense can play seven on four instead of seven on five. If the running back or tight end has to block or block for longer, like a check release, then that just gives you a numbers advantage. One way to defend the running back is making block, right? Yeah. Oh. Um, 
and and to that point as well or you can do as they did down the line against like the packers really well you can run sim pressures where you're guaranteeing that your fourth rusher is rushing the back therefore right. your eyes of the fourth rusher are right on the back so if it is a screen you know he's rushing right into the the screen right, right? He, he's right there yeah 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 um so that, that will be a a big thing if we can see i mean the offenses did not respect their four-man rush last year because one it just wasn't good but it really hammers home how poor it was at times when they're running like four of a set of empty or like big dagger country like cross-country dagger out of three by two empty formations yeah the five-step drop yeah kind deep, of deep five step on, seven on step drops down empty like BA. it's just like this a, def, a defense can't expect to hold up like that um, or the coverage camp, unless you've got, you know, amazing man corners, which very few teams do. And if they do have very amazing man corners, they can't hold on to them for very long, as the 2019 mm -hmm. Patriots showed. Um, so, so let's talk. Let's talk about the corners. Yeah. So as as I alluded to, Seattle's cornerback situation after you know after week six kind of really started looking good because week six, if you recall, was the Steelers game, right? And Trey Brown, uh, they they approached that like it was an open competition with um, Sidney Jones, right? They they sort of switched time right. while DJ Reed anchored on the right side. Um, the week before against the Rams in in week five, that was just Sidney Jones. But then in in week four, they were kind of messing around with the, the corners still, and they're still, sort of still trying to. Um, yeah, figure things out, chemistry out, all of that sort of stuff. So it really does matter that that you know they actually had their cornerback group kind of starting to be established. Now the other thing I'd ask you, Griffin, is this year DJ Reed has gone, so it's all well and good saying their EPA on passing plays, you know, versus wide receivers and tight ends was really good last year. But without DJ Reed, with Sidney Jones, but you know Trey Brown's hurt. He's um, coming off a really bad knee injury. We assume Sidney Jones will be the starting left corner. He's kind of the only certainty in the cornerback group. You'd, you'd hope, but then is he a certainty? Because he was available for a reason. He has an injury record. You know, it's it's, pat it's looking patchy the cornerback group. Whatever way you want to spin it, whatever way they've tried to upgrade it with the draft, right? So. All these coverages where, especially like the quarter-quarter half deal where you're you're one-on-one -on, -one, um, on the on the backside of that, um, kind of. I mean, y you need to press up. You can play it like press man um, if it's like on the backside of trips. Um, mm -hmm. if, if, it's, if there's two to your side, then you're going to have a, a hardcore to safety helping you in the dig window. But you're still having to play with like press man kind of traits. Can they hang... At corner like right are you confident uh i mean it's i mean i want to say yes there's a path where they are good i mean there's a reality where they are just fine does Artie? can you does Artie burns have a repeat performance of last year because he's a, had an up and down career but he was solid last year can sydney jones the sydney jones we saw the last month and a half of last season can they get that for a full season or if one of them doesn't, can Trey Brown, is he healthy? Does he return to what he showed for about a month in his rookie year where he looked really promising? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's a huge, it's just a big question mark. You know, yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of potential, but there's also a lot of variance baked into it. So, but like you said, they can, they can mitigate a little bit if it's, if they're playing, if they're playing a bunch of half quarter quarter to the half side, well, the corner that is playing the cloud doesn't have a lot on them, right? Right. To the quarter, to the quarter side, you just simply have that safety play more of kind of like a cone almost, and help a little bit more with with uh, an isolated receiver anyway. If it's the backside of trips, it's two by two where things start to get interesting. That's where you really got to play actual cornerback to that quarter side, right? And then also, do we do we do we see more just pure quarters? Because we that's something we didn't see last last year very much and um sean decided to see a lot of didn't play a lot of pure quarters either like pure cover four to both mm-hmm. sides of the field in chicago last year um and that seemed to be that seemed to follow from the injuries that he had because he didn't want to put them in those situations He's, so and he spoke about um how he i forget when he did it but i've heard him talk about how it was very important when he was a dc like he figured out like once he was in that position, you know, only doing things, it's obvious, but, and lots of people say it, but only doing things that his guys could do. Like he, he spoke about how he found it, you know, uh, a good challenge having to adapt to what he had. So, you know, proof of your point, right. Griff. Right. But then, but then to, to contrast Carl Scott, obviously Alabama, Minnesota, they play a lot of quarters. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, and he, he probably looks at, probably looks at Sydney and Artie and says, yeah, you guys have the skill set to play, you know, you press the line of scrimmage. You can do all that, carry things downfield. You do wonder, he probably, I imagine Carl Scott looks at Trey Brown. Let's assume he's the Trey Brown that we know him to be, or at least that he was before injury. Probably thinks I like your technique. I like how you play and everything, but he probably does have a little pause with his length. And so does Pete Carroll probably. And then he wonders, do I need to cloud Trey more often? than not, especially against bigger body receivers. Hmm. Well, um, the the sort of um, kind of matchup choices you're speaking about, though, kind of re-emphasizes to me that, you know, what Kyle Scott and Sean Desai will bring, but for me, actually more Kyle Scott, or, you know, at least on paper, is these kind of coverage tools um, and more like coverage checks. Right. And more kind of, on-field freedom with you know game plan influenced right on-field freedom for the dbs if they're playing in like a split safety deal to kind of get into different things based off what they're getting you know receiver split receiver matchup and also just the fact that and this kind of brings you know false um brings us to my, my one of the metrics i wanted to highlight which is you know and i've mentioned it on here before but Sports Info Solutions charted Seattle as running the fourth highest percentage of cover two, cover four, and cover six, so middle field open zone coverage in the NFL versus drop back passing game. And True Media had that the Seahawks is the fifth highest percentage. So Seattle was doing a lot of this already, but right. with the Sai her coming in, I think they have the the schematic background to kind of build upon that. Um tweak it up a bit in certain situations, make it more uh, extensive, more versatile, not just one check for each thing, maybe two checks, right? Don't need to overcomplicate it. And maybe those two checks the next week are 
the the plan B check or the the slightly different check is is different because of the different opponent and what they face. Right. They just have a bit more in their arsenal. Not that like you know Seattle couldn't have done that in the past. It just wasn't their emphasis, um, right. and they were sort of finding their base still. Right. Just like how in 2021, when they run in the bare front, like they built upon 2020 and the bare front in 2021, they tried to go more three, four with it. They went left and right. They didn't have an obvious Sam or obvious Leo. They tried to get rid of their uh, field and boundary tails, uh, you know, and, and how that uh, worked with the coverage. Right. So, and, and another thing to layer on top of what you just said, um, one thing Carl Scott's, or maybe it was Jamal, but he said the emphasis in, in those um, mini camp press conferences for the safeties was making them interchangeable. Mm-hmm. If, if they're interchangeable to you know left, right, but when it comes to wanting to protect the corners, if you can make the safeties truly interchangeable, you can make your uh, kind of your your split safety coverage like ambidextrous in a way. If you feel like you want to flop it. And have one the the one side that you normally play cloud the other side play the quarter if you feel like there's a corner receiver mismatch that there's that the offense can manipulate to their favor then you can just if you truly have jamal and ugo or jamal and quandres structured and designed to where they can flip the call if they need to then you can cloud the side that you'd rather have clouded and still play quarters the other side and, and the rest of the defense can like the domino the schematic domino effect can can um can uh, follow last mm-hmm. year it seems like if that happened they just reverted to playing cover two in in those situations because they did play so much cover two if, if there is if they wanted to if they would have rather played half quarter quarter but they found themselves in a situation where you know they wanted to uh protect one corner or th- they played a lot or of both corners two, a lot of different reasons yeah right but then they would just cloud both sides yeah um, this would give an organization an organization to the defense that would kind of allow them to get into what they really want at all times um, with that. So that that's another thing to look for, I guess, with, with the safeties being interchangeable. Um, mm. And I mean, basically, in, in in what we're talking about here, well, last year they only did it where the half was to the field, um, right, or well, it mainly just so happened it was the field, but it was to the passing strength, right? Right. Um, and then the quarter side was to the weak side, but to Jamal Adams in the boundary. And Jamal Adams played in the boundary. Quandre Diggs played to the field. Uh, Ugo Amadi played to the field in his vertical hook, matching the, the two vertical. Um, and they had a like a squat corner to the field, and then they had the quarters on the back side, right? So. Right. This year, if if it's like the same thing, you know, you mentioned the interchangeability. If it's like the same thing as what they did with Bear when they then went left and right in 2021, maybe they... I I liked how that fit their personnel last year. However, if they kind of change it up occasionally this year, which it sounds like they're going to do, and they, they don't have the, the... You know, both of them do both. You know, that that is big, as you've basically said. I've just repeated what you said in a slightly different way. Um... <laughs> So, is, uh, I, I guess, you know, we mentioned pass rush, right? Last year, another metric that you want to talk about, Griffin, their blitz rate was uh, 22.4%. 
which placed He's counting, he's counting. He's 32 counting. minus 11 mm. equals 4. <laughs> you after, look so after, appalled. <laughs> after we count to um after we count to 10 we're going to name our vowels many. Mm-hmm. 22 nope <laughs> well they well they placed 22nd so they placed 22nd in their blitz rate so that was minus 10 <laughs> yeah well you know we're under pressure here um, so they, they were <laughs> yeah go on so their their blitz rate was 22nd in the league at 22.4% so Griffin why weren't they more aggressive um why weren't they more aggressive uh, are they a soft defense were they a soft defense last yeah year? so i obviously kind of like to unpack that question that implies that an aggressive defense is marked by whether they blitz or not right that's just in part a straw man because not everybody characterizes a defensive aggressiveness that way it can be you know man coverage or how aggressively you match routes within zone or you, you can even look at it like if you have problem areas that you know are problem areas, do you devote schematic attention to that? And that could be anything, right? Is that, does, does that mean aggressive? Like, right. That could mean the word can mean anything and everything you want it to mean. Right. Um, but yeah, so Seattle uh, rushed five or more guys, whatever you said, 22.4%, which came in at 21st. If you look at the, the list of percentages, that's kind of most teams are clustered between, like 20 and 30%. So, you know, like average, if they blitz 3% more, they'd be dead average, right? So, um, so I, but to put that number into in, context, Seattle normally, like the last four or five years, have kind of hovered between 22 and 26, 28%. So that's kind of right in their, their ballpark. And they weren't, they weren't lacking this year because they weren't blitzing enough. They weren't being like, you know, trying to get after the quarterback as much. Now, when you don't have a good four-man rush, yeah, there's merit in, in rushing a lot. But that can be dangerous because we have to remember the first half of 2020, they were like top five in blitz rate. They were one of the most aggressive teams in the league, and they generated a lot of sacks, and they also gave up a lot of explosive passes downfield because their corners couldn't handle it. Because when the blitz was blocked up by the offense – um the corners couldn't hold up um it wasn't until dj reed came in that they were were able to hold up more when when they did blitz and they still decreased the blitz rate in the second half of 2020 but um because they were just trying to play more sound collective drop drop seven defense but the the point is though is that being more aggressive isn't a panacea up front because that can it has to be it's a delicate balance all easier said than done but that said Seattle was a very effective team when they did rush five this year. Um, and and not all blitzing is the same, obviously. Like you can blitz out of your base zone for a different reason than you would blitz when it's third and seven and you're showing cover one and you've got six guys, seven guys up on the line of scrimmage and you don't know who's blitzing and who isn't, right? Like two different worlds. Mm -hmm. But Seattle's blitzing um, 
And sorry, we yeah, should say you can't. It's harder to do that on base downs because if you're if you've got lots of people up front, then people get knocked out of gaps. You get absolutely. weird blocking angles, like or you it's get unsound with stopping the run. It's unsound. It can be unsound for that, and it can also be unsound trying to get into your pass drop if you're playing zone. Now, the principle in Seattle when they did the principle for Seattle when they did the Seahawks when they did rush five or more in their early down stuff was to, well, it was to kind of supplement the supplement, the lack of inherent, like attacking the offense that is not there when you're, when you're dropping seven, like when you're dropping seven, you're playing bare, a bare front, which isn't great spacing for, for four man rush. You're dropping seven in the coverage. Their principle there is if they drop back, you're just trying to choke out the passing concept and make the quarterback make either a bad decision downfield or check it down and then you rally and and and, and tackle the ball. Mm-hmm. That's when you when you're playing too high coverage, which is all the rage right now, the the primary thing you're trying to do is stop an explosive pass. And like that's the number one priority. When you present two high safeties, two is better than than one, right? Well, Pete Carroll's philosophy historically, or at least in Seattle, being cover three but still the the main concept is don't let them be go deep well, he's really saying we can get it done with one safety and we trust our corners to defend the fade ball no matter what right um but but we associate we associate being you know conservative and stopping the deep ball with Pete Carroll's cover three but too high is even more even further in that direction you're saying prevent it by default almost now teams still get explosive against too high coverages it can happen of course but like that's the whole point you're devoting more resources to stopping that so um so to win back so real quick real quick yeah too high uh cup base like vanilla as hell cover two if you get four verts you should have five guys five defenders basically deep right if you have if you're if you're running cover three you get four verts um, you should, you'll have like four defenders deep. So, yeah, right. Yeah, true. Um, with all the matching for mm-hmm. each respective coverage, mm-hmm. of course. Right. But so point being though, is like, no one's calling Brandon Staley's defense soft, right? No one's calling Vic Fangio's defense soft, but their primary, their number one goal is you're not going to go deep on us. That's what they're, that's what they're saying when they choose to spend that much time in too high. Um, but so when Seattle's living in that same world this past year with minor differences, if you don't have a four-man rush out of Bear, we can just have the talent. Go ahead. I think I my take on that is the problem, like, one, we haven't seen uh, the NFL in general actually come up with the, like, I think this year we're going to see so many intermediate, like, beaters, right? Right. Like big digs, backside dig, bang, like beating these two eye kind of deals. But also I think the way that they match the the obviously the deep, right? But the way they, they choke out the check like hover check downs tightly, like I think that is inherently like it feels more aggressive. Then, like, when you see cover three and it's, like, they check it down and we rally to it, you see, you see what I'm saying? Like, that is yeah, and, well, softer looking. 
Right, but I mean, it, it looks soft and. Whereas cover three is obviously covering up that intermediate, you know. Right, right, and it all depends on how you match stuff. Of like course, what, yeah. what what ultimately defines the potential of a coverage is what the underneath defenders are doing, right? Of course. Um, but like so anyway, so see so sound coverage and what Seattle is doing in their base stuff last year prevents positive plays from happening for the offense. But you want to also generate negative plays for the offense that's that's forcing incompletions that's um well not just forcing completions but obviously turnovers getting tackles in the backfield sacks tackling the check down in the backfield if you can at the line of scrimmage you know two yard gains etc seattle gains back some of that lost aggression inherent to the scheme but then further also inherent to what they don't have up front by um sending like sending the slot every so often and then spinning to cover three or or you know sending two guys weak and then dropping other guys right with like a classic like ncaa blitz like call mm-hmm. it one of the classic fire zone blitzes and stuff um anyway so th- they did that at a short clip and it's it's uh fair to wonder why not do it more if they got such great results out of it and by great results i mean they were when they rushed five or more compared to other defenses in the league, they were, I think, seventh in opponent yards per cover snap. So wildly successful. Yeah, why not do more of it? But we're not talking about that. And I suspect they will do more of it this year. But we're not talking about them approaching 30 plus percent. Like they're not going to be Rex Ryan. That's not what they're trying to do. If mm. the more the the more you dip into your auxiliary and supplemental stuff from your base stuff, the less you, the more you cease to be your base defense and their base defense, not just in base personnel, but it needs to be rooted in you're not giving up passes downfield. That's what the whole defense is trying to be. Mm. Again, it's the, it's e- the easier it is to defend all three levels with the, a better four man rush, but the fire zones and stuff in their earlier call, their earlier down calls will allow them to, um, you know, generate more negative plays. So what what I'd also um where I'd like to take this actually also is kind of the nickel position in twenty twenty two. So like it's funny me saying this because I've actually in a past episode I think Justin Coleman might actually struggle to make the roster. <laughs> but if Coleman uh, proves me wrong and, and is is right and is that kind of man nickel, that really matters to me because in bear, like the the bear spacing, the easiest way to send pressure from that is those five guys at the line of scrimmage and then to run right. cover one behind it, right? If you're going to run a fire zone, so three deep, three under, it's so obvious to a quarterback they're drained out here. Um, like it's going to be these three off ball guys, five will come at me. Like I know where to go with this football. I know where my beta is. But if you run and cover one, it's tied to coverage. You can peel either of the ends and you can still have right. a rat playing. Right. You're keeping the back in. You're not um, most of the time. Now it's, e- it's easier to send the pressure out of cover one with that spacing and that struck that five, three kind of presentation. Um, so Seattle didn't really have the nickel as we spoke about in Ugo Armadi to play kind of man coverage on the slot. But if Coleman can do that, then that kind of unlocks more options for them on early down pressure wise, right. more, more viable options. The option was always there and they did, they did still do it, but like Coleman could well, be a different level of that. 
the other thing is doing it. We've talked about Ugo and what he's good at. We've talked about Justin Coleman and what he's good at. One being zone, one being man. Man for Coleman, zone for Ugo. The problem, though, is as far as the disguise goes, as far as disguising goes, like what you're just talking about, Coleman's out there. They don't. You don't want that to be a coverage tell, right? You don't want that to be like a man nope. package world. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if he can be good at zone, you know, just good enough, then you can. That's when you can blitz and then play cover one behind it right that's where you can get into that world right especially with bare spacing like you said because you've got two guys standing up you can do different things to manage the running back with that right mm. and then but with ugo it's like when he's out there they know they're playing zone so if they do send pressure they're likely playing right zone principles behind it maybe right. occasionally man you know what i mean so like that's where that's where it's challenging that's where like a, a nickel in the modern league that can do all of it is so valuable because that's how you stitch calls together down to down, snap to snap and keep the offense guessing. So we'll see how that plays out. I mean, Coleman has a big thing working against him in that. Can he be like a legit classic overhang? Can you be like the star uh, as, as that position is called in a too high world Um, can, you know, and is it worth mixing Ugo in there? Um, without his flexibility to play man coverage well. So I don't know how they handle that, but they've got options though. Um, so where are we at now? Um, Cause I know you guys have at least one offensive metric that we want to get into. Yeah. Do we have one, anything one, else that we have? I don't think so. We can wrap defense up there. Yep. Good old defense. That, that was All interesting. Right. We'll, we'll cap it off okay. with something offense. Something fun. Something. So you, you, this is you, this is what gets the views, folks. Offense points. Fantasy right. football. All right. So you pro Gino man. <laughs> um, you want something to look forward to? Here's something to look forward to statistically with oh. Gino Smith. Mm. In the three games that Gino Smith started, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett over that window. So we're comparing them to other receivers from weeks six to eight. Those three games. Um, DK Metcalf and Tyler, Tyler Lockett were fifth and 11th respectively in yards per route ran, um, during Geno Smith's three game starting stint, which is to say they were getting elite efficiency when Geno Smith was throwing to them. Um, so if their efficiency can remain stable from going from a pro bowl caliber quarterback to a guy that is currently known as a backup. Uh, if that can remain stable for a full season, that probably bodes well for Seattle's, in my opinion, their floor from dropping too far. Whatever that floor is, I don't d- determine their floor to be exactly what Gino did in his three and a half games translating that. I think the floor is a projection as well as the ceiling is. But if you can just extract that, him being efficient throwing to DK and Tyler, then that, that's a good thing uh, moving forward, you would think, right? So... um Obviously, it's. I mean, when you're when you're when you're viewing it through the lens of per route ran, that doesn't always mean that they're getting the ball when they should. You know, that doesn't mean that he's not forcing it to them when there's somebody else open, maybe. Um, but their efficiency not tanking is a is a good sign as far as Seattle being able to put points up. Uh, not, not a lot of points, but I don't see them being. I mean, when you have two 1,000-yard caliber receivers and they can get 1,000 yards and get it efficiently, theoretically, you're at least you're not going to be a basement dweller. Um, 
offense. You're, you're going to be able to move the ball, at least have, you know, moments, right? Good games, bad games, sure. Good drives, bad drives. But the good drives will be there. The good games will be there. Um, so that's my little statistical snapshot. Well, and the, the chemistry that Geno Smith has with DK Metcalf is going to give him, I right. think, the, the upper hand. There's going to be an interesting discussion in the preseason of how much do the, like, actual starters play to try and give the quarterbacks a fair competition like with this you know because you don't want them to get hurt but then also like you want to see what they'd look like in the first string offense um and and gino was working out with dk um this week i think so there you go they've got something going on there but then down the depth chart drew lock's working out with uh cody thompson friends it seems like they did something in Dallas together, I think. So, yeah, and Cody Thompson may play more in the preseason. So, right. interesting. But I always think back to that Geno Smith unlocking DK Metcalf uh, right. intermediate back shoulder fade, where if right. DK can become that kind of guy, where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, 15 yards, one-on-one, back shoulder bang. Right. Okay. Um. And Gino was very accurate to both of these guys downfield too. They didn't mm-hmm. always connect, but I think every throw was, I think was in the realm of catchable. Uh, this is another stat for you. Uh, Gino Smith on air attempts over 16 yards and greater. Um, he had like, I think he led the league in catchable rate according to sports info solutions. Now catchable is very subjective. And I'm not saying he's the most accurate quarterback in the league down downfield. I'm not taking that stat at face value. However, it does indicate that he was actually accurate downfield. His um so, deep ball catchable pass rate was fifty seven point one percent. Which is high. Mm-hmm. So but his his and interestingly, his catchable pass rate was sixty eight point four percent, which um only came in forty second. But the fact that his deep balls were relatively high for a deep ball is is um he's not afraid to go downfield either uh, and that's they can they have the He'll take his shots ability. he's not he's not that veteran who understands defense but won't push it downfield you know the classic comes into the game and then is just like really good at taking that check down <laughs> right no and I then mean, what happens he's... is the defense just clamps the check down out and then it's the end right he's not afraid to push the ball and we've got more to say about how he is in the dropback game, which this preseason will be really revealing because he'll be working with the ones against ones against, you know, defenses ones. So at least most of them. Um, also, yeah. also another one, his, his uh, completion percentage over expectation um, <laughs> during his stint was actually second in the league. Um, he completed more than six. Now I, I have issues with that stat, but it's still, it's interesting. It's so it's, it's how you wield it. I don't have, yeah, I don't have issues with the stat. I just think, well, like any stat, we have to understand what is actually telling us, right? Right. Like right. it's really good in my opinion. Right. Yeah. 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 For sure. I mean, it, it combines, um, depending on who's doing it. But it combines um, the expected completion of, I mean, what website or charting company. Right. But it combines like expected completion of, of depth and then also proximity to defenders and stuff. 
um which you know cool uh second in the league so he completed six and a half more percent of his passes six and a half percent more of his passes than expected which ranks second in the league second behind joe burrow who isn't known to be the greatest arm talent but just below smith was rogers and kyler murray so like these there, there are guys with talented arms right right in there with him so it's it's not it, it, we're not proclaiming him the second most accurate quarterback and the best deep ball throw in the league. We are simply saying that he actually has arm talent. Um, so I don't know. A, Something a, to cling to. Yeah, there you go. And I've got more, but we'll save it for another time. Yeah, the when Gino wins the job, we'll just fully launch into that. Um, but you, you also had highlighted Griff, um, EPA per play on passes lower than five air yards the splits from weeks one to 13 we talked versus... about that <laughs> what just now we're, 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 no we talked about that in the beginning we're going in circles we said that after the oh yeah that's the, <laughs> the great thing. reveal of oh, i'm sorry yeah. don't be sorry um don't give me an excuse to bring it up again because i will <laughs> i was like why is why have you highlighted this like who cares about little check downs from like Anyway, um, well then, the Seahawks right. will return to training camp uh, later this month. Then we will have a bit more to talk about in that sense. I think we're going to do a mailbag, as you guys call it. I'd, I'd call it a, a post box. Do you have post boxes? You guys call mailboxes post boxes, really? Yeah. Well, we, we And they're lovely and red. Post office, so I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, kind of works, doesn't it? Mm, nice and logical. Um, we'll do one of those where you can send in your questions about the Seahawks, or you know anything, but uh, you know preferably the Seahawks, because as you can tell, when when we talk about ourselves and delve away from Seattle, it's really not interesting at all. That's right. Uh, all right. Have, have you got anything else? Anyone here? Ty Griffin. Uh, I have one last metric for you. Oh. <clears throat> Lay it on us. Football. I have seen the light, folks. Oh, the Mariners won. Geno is Smith is QB1, but also, yes, the Mariners won, and the Mariners have won 11 in a row. That is, all, that is also a great metric, but yeah. Geno Smith is QB1. That's the best metric here. That's right. That's okay. right. Great. Griffin? Very good. All right. Well, thank, thank any right. work coming up. Everyone check out. Ty is the editor at InsideTheMariners.com. If you like the Mariners, come check it out. Also, check out the Locked On Mariners podcast on YouTube he, or wherever he, you get your podcasts. He will take you inside the Mariners. Mm -hmm. Griffin. All the way inside. You got if you're watching this, you know where to find me. Yeah. It's also displayed prominently there on the bottom. Mm -hmm. There we go. And uh I'm a free agent, so please, you know. We can find you in give me the back. 